This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Freelancers were really feeling like they were screwed. Can I say that, by the way? Oh, oh, oh. we have an explicit rating on <laughs> iTunes, so please feel free to curse. Oh, okay. Freelancers were really feeling like they were fucked. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules and take advantage of explicit ratings. I'm Caroline. And I'm fucking Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) And listeners, you might remember that last year we published an Unladylike episode called How to Slay Sexism Like a Pro with a fabulous host of the podcast Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. And in that, we answered listeners' questions about gender issues in stereotypical office environments. But Kristen, sexism, discrimination, and workplace harassment doesn't just happen in offices. Like, you and I are self-employed, and we've heard from a lot of listeners as well who are freelancers, side hustlers, and tip earners— And they feel lost about how to advocate for themselves on the job. That's why today we're answering Unladylike listeners' questions again. Only this time, we're focusing on troubleshooting non-traditional employment, gig economy life, and claiming our worth from the bottom up. To help us do that, we've called in an expert. Sarah Horowitz is the founder of the Freelancers Union and now the CEO of Trupo, which provides dental and accident insurance to freelancers. What I've really noticed after working for 20-plus years building up freelancers' institutions is you kind of have to get to a mountaintop to see the next mountaintop and get more and more altitude. And if women don't ever get to that altitude, they can't see the higher vista ahead. And I do feel like part of it is just seize it because nobody gives it to you. You know, the world can be so unbelievably sexist, and you kind of have to really— accept that as a reality. Not to say you shouldn't fight it. Of course you should fight it. But be strategic and figure it out. Now, when Sarah's talking about seizing it, she doesn't mean seizing it for yourself. Rather than solo career ladder climbing, Sarah sees getting to that mountaintop as a collective effort. And to be clear, y'all, there is no straightforward, easy breezy map to that mountaintop. But Sarah's not only going to break down why that is, but also how we can use the resources around us to, as she says, be strategic. It's all to figure out how do you handle workplace BS like a pro when you aren't working a typical nine to five. 
We're going to get to unladylike listener questions in just a minute. But first, Kristen, why are so many unladies feeling so squeezed by our jobs? Like, whatever happened to the hashtag girlboss glamour of the hustle? Well, for one thing, we're not just feeling the heat from our jobs. Affordable housing, childcare, and health insurance are in short supply. And women owe two-thirds of the student loan debt in the U.S. Then there's the fact that secure full-time employment with benefits is rapidly becoming a thing of the past. And this is where Sarah Horowitz comes in. After graduating from law school, a labor law firm hired her as an independent contractor, but expected her to work like a full-timer. Yeah, this probably rings familiar to a lot of y'all. Sarah put in her 40 hours a week. The law firm made her business cards. She was even titled as a staff attorney. But in exchange, she received no benefits like paid time off, health insurance, or retirement savings. And that raw deal got Sarah thinking. Well, what would be the next form of unionism? And without going into, like, a whole thing about labor law, but just kind of keeping the back of your mind, only employees can unionize. So I was like, well, we better figure out the next form of unionizing because independent contractors and solopreneurs and so many others really need to come together to negotiate for things like benefits and training and, and community and all the things that we know that people do well when they're together. To clarify, freelancers and independent contractors are allowed to join unions. But federal labor laws, including the ones that require employers to bargain with unions, only apply to folks classified as employees. So what Sarah was envisioning was literally a new form of unionizing that isn't centered around a specific industry or employer. In 2003, she launched the Freelancers Union with a simple but at the time fairly radical goal to advocate for those non-traditional workers. Now, why should unladies give a fuck about unionizing? Well, because collective action compounds your influence. That's one reason why, for instance, the gender wage gap among unionized employees is about half that of non-unionized folks. But even though around two-thirds of Americans today approve of unions, only 10% of us actually belong to one. That kind of statistic blows Sarah's mind because unionizing, y'all, is in her blood. Her mother was a unionized teacher, her father was a union lawyer, and Sarah's grandfather was a VP of one of the earliest powerhouse unions in the U.S. It also has a powerhouse acronym. The ILGWU was the International Ladies' Garment Workers Union. Sarah was steeped in her family's labor history— In eighth grade, she even organized the girls in her school to go on strike for International Women's Day, which you know would have gone viral were she in middle school today. Hashtag amazing. Hashtag International Women's Day. Hashtag Sarah. I am so hashtag inspired. Also, I really like hashtag Sarah. (laughs) Right? Okay, so now there are more than 350,000 members of the freelancers union that Sarah founded. And those members can access benefits like 401ks, disability insurance, and legal help when clients aren't paying them. And then because the benefits started to be so good for freelancers, they started telling their friends. And that's how we started to really build up our lists. But it was also because we were engaging in advocacy and community and having meetings. So we were doing plenty of other things in addition to insurance. But one thing that the freelancers union can't necessarily provide for is the solitary nature of a lot of freelance work. Like, Caroline, you and I spend a lot of time working alone at home, which is both lovely, 
And also isolating. <laughs> Which brings us to our first unladylike listener question for Sarah, from friend of the show, Kristen Meinzer. Hey, unladylike ladies, this is Kristen Meinzer calling. I am the co-host of a podcast called By the Book and also the co-host of We Love You and So Can You. And while I love hosting both of these shows, they only bring me into the office a couple of times a week. And the rest of the time, I am on my own. I'm a freelancer. And what I have found is that sometimes I get really lonely. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for how to feel a sense of team while I'm out here by myself most of the time would be really, really appreciated. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. It's really the successful freelancer is the one who is connected because when you work alone at home, it's lonely, and that's when anxiety just really plays a huge part. And you get so scared, and you don't know what the future is going to hold because you're freelance and it's not a steady gig, and then it's like over. But you need to have people that you meet for coffee with. You need to be in some kind of group. You need to just find the things that make you feel human and make them the top priority in every day and don't skimp on them. And so it's not um, that somebody has the right freelancer gene. It's that they make it work for them. But I also just want to say this. It's not so great to work nine to five, 40 hours a week for a job you hate. So we have to make the life that we want. And I don't mean that in a like hyper individualistic way. I think that that's where um, you have to find the love and the joy and make that a priority for everybody. So what I'm hearing is be the coffee date you want to see in the world, fellow Kristen. <laughs> Perfect advice. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Sarah answers unladylike listeners' questions on freelancing while sick and what happens when you're sexually harassed and there's no HR to address it. Don't go away. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back DIYing some HR with Freelancers Union founder Sarah Horowitz. So, no surprise, when you're self-employed or work as a freelancer, paid time off typically isn't part of the package. That can get especially precarious during flu season. This is from Alyssa who wants to know, how do you handle being sick as a freelancer? I have the flu and it's knocking me out of work for 10 days. 
Obviously, I don't have sick time, and it's not like there's someone else who can just fill in for me to make my deadlines. This sucks, and it's enough to make me feel like working independently is not worth it. So, Alyssa, I just want to tell you this. I've done so many focus groups with freelancers. We would do this hypothetical, and we would say, what would happen if you couldn't work? And freelancers would say, I would take the computer in bed with me, and I would keep doing my work. And we'd say, no, 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 that's not the hypothetical. Like, you literally can't work. And it's such a panic point for freelancers that they cannot literally imagine it. And that's because there's no unemployment insurance. There's nothing that helps you when you're hitting the the bottom downside and you can't work, and that means no money comes in. And so Alyssa is speaking to what happens to every freelancer at one point in their life. It used to be that freelancers were told, you should just have an emergency fund. You need to save. If you didn't save, you're a failure and you're a bad person and you, you know, something's wrong with you. Instead of saying, this is a perfect example where we should have insurance and some kind of collective activity that brings the price down because as life happens, we will all get sick at different times. And it really goes to a concept that I call meaningful independence. It's not that you're isolated. It's that you're secure, that you are connected to other people. So, Alyssa, when you're down and out and you have the flu, you have a friend or a colleague or someone you can call who's going to work for you so that you don't get screwed and you would do the same for them. And so, Alyssa... You'll figure out whether freelancing is worth it for you, but the truth is the most successful freelancers, and when I say success, I don't mean just money, the people who lead the best lives are the ones who are connected to other people, and when they have a down spell, they have others to count on, and when they're doing well, they're out there helping other people. It's that reciprocity. It's mutualism. For some, freelancing gives them the flexibility they need, And for others, it's more trouble than it's worth. One question, uh, this is sort of of a big one, but um, one that we got from a listener who has sort of been struggling with the freelance life. Because I, I, I think especially for younger women today, freelancing and working for yourself is portrayed at least as like, you know, modern boss babes. Yes, we can do it. Hustle, hustle. Um, But in reality, it's much less glamorous. Um, And she wanted to know who is the freelance life like really sustainable for? And just wondering what your, if you had a quick take on that. Yep. It's, it's not who is it sustainable for? It's how do you make it sustainable? And so there are these kind of tried and true, which is you want to find some something steady that grounds and anchors you. So I've heard freelancers talk about it in a bunch of different ways. But basically, you put your work into three parts. There's the anchoring work. Then there's the work that's the middle work that helps you develop like you want to switch into another area. And so you start to take on that work. Maybe it doesn't pay well. Maybe it's only a teeny bit of it, but you start practicing. And then there's the third, which is like, you know, shit, the rent is due. I have no money. I'm going to go on a platform like Fiverr or Upwork, or I'm going to drive. 
and it's not ideal, but it pays the rent. And so it's that ability to start to see your work life in those three ways. Okay, next up, we have a question from our very own producer, Sam Lee. Hi, young ladies. It is your producer, Sam Lee. (laughs) I have a question because I am, in fact, a freelancer. So when Me Too started, one thing that I thought about a lot was how, you know, when there's sexual harassment in the workplace and you are in a workplace where there is no HR, how that's really complicated. So, you know, if you're a freelance media worker or in something like a service industry job and you don't have HR to go to, How do you report or handle sexual harassment when there is no HR? Yeah, Sam, forgive. I'm just going to give a quick employment history and employment law 101. So we have an EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and yes, you're right. It's only for employees. Freelancers are not eligible. So it's in certain cities like New York City, you could go and file a claim, but it's a very tough thing when you're all alone. So if you're being sexually assaulted or harassed or made to feel uncomfortable or bullied, the best thing that you can do is to start with your work, the kind of work you do, and think about where are people coming together whether it's a Facebook group, whether it's at your church, look at your community organizing groups that are near you and start to talk to them because they're going to have a much better idea of what you can do locally and where there are laws and protections, where there may already be an initiative about it, but also to be able to find out what to do because there really are things that you can do that obviously culminate in suing somebody But that's a giant thing, and you want to see if there are things you can do to stop it right away. So it's illegal for an employer to retaliate against an employee who speaks up about sexual harassment. But it's not so clear-cut if you're an independent contractor. Other legal perks that don't extend to us non-employees? The Americans with Disabilities Act, the Fair Pay Act, unemployment eligibility, and, you know, that whole bit in the Civil Rights Act about no employment discrimination allowed if it's based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. On a positive note, California, Pennsylvania, and Washington state all have laws protecting independent contractors from discrimination. Just 47 more states to go. And you can always consult groups like Workplace Fairness about laws in your state. So, Sarah, we also wanted to know about a dynamic that uh, complicates the scenario for a lot of freelancers and contract workers, which is when the harassment is coming from, like, a client or even, like, someone else a client has contracted. Yeah. You know, you're getting right to the heart of why we have no safety net so that this is a giant hole in the middle of it because there's no official place to go. If you're not unionized, there's not a government agency. Of course, if it rises to the level of a crime, you know, you can always go and to the the district attorney. But that's kind of not the common thing that people are dealing with. And so 
again, it really is about finding out what you can do in your situation, which is probably a local one. And so you want to talk to other people in a group to find out, like, who are the bad employers? And if an employer is going to go or a company is going to go and just allow these conditions to repeat, then people will find that out and not want to work for that company. And I think that's probably something that, again, that goes in a group where you're sharing your experience and learning if other people are having the same ones and then having somebody from an organization reach out to the company and say, you know, our information is that that's your company. And by the way, it's people are sharing it. it it's going to be kind of guerrilla tactics here because we don't have protections that we should. We also did some digging after talking to Sarah and discovered an important legal tip for freelancers called a sexual harassment clause. Yeah, I first ran across this on a creative freelancer platform called HoneyBook. And full disclosure, we've advertised for HoneyBook on Unladylike before. And I promise y'all, this is not SpawnCon. Um, but HoneyBook conducted a user survey on sexual harassment within the creative economy. So think wedding photographers, event planners, graphic designers. 65% of respondents had been sexually harassed by an attendee of an event that they were working. And it jumped out to me, not because it was like surprising that the sexual harassment was happening, but because I'd never considered workplace sexual harassment in that context. And I was a cater waiter in college, Caroline. Mm -hmm. Now, cater waiters probably can't take advantage of a sexual harassment clause. But if you're conducting business through freelance contracts, you can include some lawyer speak in there that basically says, like, if you sexually harass me or if somebody at your wedding sexually harasses me and I report you, you still got to pay me. Yeah, also shout out to the freelancing platform Fiverr that includes a sexual harassment clause in its standard freelancer terms. So those kinds of clauses are easily accessible now online. And when possible, you know, do your Google homework to find out if whomever you're thinking of working with has a sketchy reputation. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dig deeper into sexual harassment in the workplace where it festers the most. Plus, we take a look at what happens when unions flex their power. Stick around. So, Kristen, while we're talking about sexual harassment-prone employment situations, we've got to take a minute for service jobs. The restaurant industry is the single largest source of sexual harassment claims. And you know what doesn't help matters? Tipping. Women make up 66% of America's tipped workforce. And women who rely on tips for the bulk of their income are twice as likely to be harassed as women who make a higher base wage. Plus, the emotional labor that goes into keeping tipping customers happy is probably disguising a sad fact. Your perky server may actually be miserable. According to a 2018 study, the stress of putting on an emotional show that doesn't match how you're actually feeling is a quick ticket to burnout. Okay, Sarah, we've got a question from Christy about the emotional side effects of service with a smile. How can I manage the stress of emotional labor at work? 
working in the service industry, we are taught to always be positive in dealings with both our coworkers and those we serve. While I do understand the reasoning, I also find it to be stifling. It makes my anxiety increase and has me feeling less genuine if I can't share frustrations. I'm curious to know more about how this kind of putting aside our emotions in one arena affects us in the long run. So Christy raises so many things in that voicemail. You know, what I'm really struck by, you just can't do it alone because life is really hard. And there are just these moments where it's really hard. And you really have to find somebody that you can talk to. And the truth is that on the job, when it's part of your job in the moment, you have to figure it out because you don't want to get fired But you also have to start to say, how do I start to improve these conditions at work and trying to think about how could the workflow change? And would it be just because one person said something? No, but that you have a sense of um, an ability to improve your environment. One thing, though, that's, I think, really important and a big difference for freelancers is they have the ability to quit much more than full-timers. And that, I think, you can't underestimate. And for freelancers, it's always about building up a portfolio of work because that is a really important thing. And the reason I say that isn't that you should just give up and just quit, but that it gives you the confidence to know that you don't have to take it and that you do have these options. One other thing that Christy talks about that I think is a universal, and it's not just a universal for Christy, for her work, but it's universal for every single one of us. And it's about the anxiety that people are feeling right now. And people feel like this is something that's happening just to them, that they have to change their life circumstances. But I really think that we're not tying it to economics and realizing we're in a giant speed up, just like Charlie Chaplin in modern times. If you remember that old classic movie where he's like working on an assembly line, it's getting really fast. But so are <laughs> so are we. And work doesn't end. You know, we're on all the time. Christy has to be moving fast and has no time to reflect. And that's because we don't have unions in America anymore. You know, that's because we we don't have unions the way Canada has unions. Like, it's just north of us. Why should it be so different? <laughs> yeah, I know. Why can't we just get there? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's because of our labor laws. But I also think that this is where we—no worker, no worker movement just waited for a green light from government, like— Get out there and start to organize, declare what it is, is a union, and just go forward. You know, that's what the teachers did throughout the South in the last two, three years. And what's so amazing was they weren't just fighting for their own salaries. Like in West Virginia, they were saying, our schools are so weak because our state doesn't fund it. If you care about kids, you need to support teachers. But because our laws don't make it so simple to unionize, those teachers use social media, and they won. To be clear, it's technically against the law to fire employees for organizing, but it's still very tough to pull off in less union-friendly states. 
And Kristen, that's part of why I have loved seeing those headlines about the teachers unions the past two years. Like the strikes sprang up for different reasons in different states. Like they aren't necessarily striking for the same demands in West Virginia that they are in Arizona. But they were a really effective power flex against shrinking salaries and underfunded schools. Well, and very relevant for this episode, Caroline, we're also seeing non-traditional workers across the spectrum pulling together, too. McDonald's workers across the country have been striking for a $15 minimum wage. 10,000 underpaid child care providers in California just organized a huge union led by women of color. And in Pittsburgh, 90 contract workers at Google unionized, which is a very rare move in the tech industry. Yeah, Kristen, we even heard from one unladylike listener named Francesca, who is part of that effort at Google. So Francesca wrote, I gotta tell you, it feels pretty powerful to be organizing a union campaign. Tech industries never unionize, Francesca wrote. So if we can pull this off, it would have such a ripple effect throughout the tech industries for exploited workers to gain some agency and speak up against a lot of unfair conditions. But we still had one final question that we needed to ask Sarah Horowitz. So that leads us so perfectly into what's kind of like the overarching question of this episode and and why we wanted to talk to you specifically because mainstream feminism has for so long been focused on breaking the glass ceiling looking up you know the at the the c suites and the people at the top of the corporate food chain but our big question is how do the women who make up like the majority of Minimum wage employees, tipped workers, you know, now a growing group of freelancers. What do we need to be doing to empower kind of from the bottom up rather from the top down, if that makes sense? Sure. We have to go back to building up our institutions. And when I say institutions, I don't mean like eyes glaze over. I mean mutual aid societies, cooperatives, unions, like all the stuff that actually is incredibly fun and makes your life so much better. And it's not always fun because sometimes you have struggles like strikes and battles. But um, I think the most important thing is that people need to start where they are. So you start in your church or your faith-based group. You start with the women that are like you, that you're working with. You look at organizations like the domestic workers, uh, unions, and start to think about, like, how do I start finding people? I think one thing we often forget, when you look at almost every single social movement, it's started by people coming together in solidarity to solve a problem. And so I think sometimes we, we forget that, and I think that is a sh- has to be a shift in our culture. We're not isolated individuals. We're builders. We have to build together, and that means we have to find people with a common fight and a common interest. Okay, Caroline, I have an unladylike theory for you. Okay. So my theory is that we are entering a new era of labor feminism. Mm. You know, in, in our adulthoods at least, first it was all lean in and negotiate better. Oh, and it also helps to be rich, white, and Ivy League educated. <laughs> then came the second wave, which was all about hashtag girl bosses and the hashtag side hustle and not being afraid to overuse hashtags. <laughs> so what's this new era then? Well, I think we're entering a post-9-to-5 feminist era because 
freelancing isn't going away, full-time employment's not coming back anytime soon, and if feminists want to work out issues in the workplace, it's all about reaching out instead of reaching up. Mm -hmm. I mean, something's in the air, and all I know is that it sounds a lot more like AOC than Sheryl Sandberg. You know what I mean? I do, I do. And look, if I gotta feel the burn, I'll feel the burn, I'll feel the burn, I'll feel the, I'll feel the, the churn. I just want to feel a way to earn and seen. <laughs> Listeners, what do y'all think? Email us at hello at unladylike.co. Find us on social at unladylike media or join our private Facebook group and jump into the thread for this episode. To learn more about Sarah Horowitz's work, you can also check out the Freelancers Union at freelancersunion.org and Trupo at trupo.com. And if you're a nine to fiver, check out our episode that inspired this one. It's called How to Slay Sexism Like a Pro. Visit unladylike.co to find this episode's sources, resources, and transcript. Plus, you can pick up tickets for our East Coast tour this spring. A huge special thanks to y'all who have signed up to support us on Patreon. If you want ad-free, brand-new bonus episodes, head over to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia and subscribe. Nora Ritchie and Sam Lee are the producers of Unladylike. Abigail Keel is our senior producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Ami Mae Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Executive producers are Chris Bannon, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media. This podcast was created by your hosts, Kristen Conger. And Caroline Irvin of Unladylike Media. Next week. Tattooing myself is a claiming of my own body. Like, this body's mine, and I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to allow societal expectations of what a woman's body should be to interfere with my own celebration of self. So there's important reasons behind it. But because the reasons are so important, I can get real dumb tattoos. We're talking to comedian Margaret Cho about her very unladylike tattoos. Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike so you don't miss this episode. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. So in our adulthoods, at least, at first it was all like, lean in, get a blowout. And the second wave, it was like, girl, crimp your hair yourself. <laughs> And now it's like, I need a fucking wig because I don't even have time to brush my hair. You know what I mean? I do. Stitcher.